Before we dive into today's enlightening episode, let's take a moment to appreciate the roots of excellence with our sponsor, the Humboldt Seed Company, where quality isn't just a priority, it's a commitment. Born from the rich, verdant landscapes of Humboldt County, California, the Humboldt Seed Company has been the beacon of cannabis genetics excellence since 2001. Founded by visionary biologist and dedicated to the craft, they began with a mission to serve patients under California's Prop 215. Today, they continue to pioneer the industry, creating seeds that define the pinnacle of cannabis potential. With decades of experience, the Humboldt Seed Company conducts groundbreaking phenotype hunts, annually gathering insights that shape the future of cannabis. Their seeds, feminized, regular, and autoflower, are not just seeds. They are the culmination of scientific rigor, environmental stewardship, and deep-rooted commitment to community and social justice. As the largest licensed cannabis seed provider in California, their reach extends globally, from the shores of Spain to the mountains of Jamaica, touching hearts and soils in over a dozen countries. This isn't just about growing cannabis. It's about cultivating a legacy of quality, accessibility, and sustainability. Join us in embracing the excellence of the Humboldt Seed Company, because when you choose their seeds, you're not just growing plants. You're nurturing a tradition of excellence that reaches far beyond the garden. Now, let's begin our journey into today's episode, inspired by growth, knowledge, and the endless pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Sun Grown Stories, Season 1, Episode 1. I'm your host, Alexandria Irons, and in this first episode, we are going to explore the roots of cannabis. We will dive deep into the rich history of cannabis and how we've gotten to where we are today. Cannabis is arguably one of the oldest plants to be cultivated by humans, with seeds found in Jamon period archaeological sites dating back to approximately 8,000 years ago in Japan. While it's not clear whether these seeds were cultivated for their psychoactive properties, hemp fiber, or nutritional purposes, their presence in Jamon period indicates the significance to ancient Japanese societies. In fact, cannabis has been well-documented in many ancient Asian cultures, from its recognized medicinal value by the father of Chinese medicine, Emperor Shenong, to the Lord Shiva, the Hindu deity and patron god of yoga, meditation, and art. In fact, I really, really like this, this story of Lord Shiva. So basically, legend has it that Lord Shiva got upset with his family, and he wandered into the mountains and fell asleep beneath a fragrant bush. Well, upon waking, he decided to taste this bush and discovered quote-unquote, cannabis. Now, since that story, um, legend, myth, cannabis has become an integral part of Hindu religion and culture, and despite it being illegal for many years in India, it's still okay uh, in 
specific Hindu festivals and celebrations because of this rich connection, sacred connection, really, with a sacred plant. And I think that this kind of rich history of cannabis interests many of us in the industry, from our own personal experiences to those around us. One story that really resonated with me was told by my good friend, Ben. Um, my name is uh, Benjamin Lind, I'm co-owner of Humboldt Seed Company. Um, been my family has been growing and breeding cannabis um, for a few generations now. You know, my I have an uncle that in the you know 70s and 80s bred the smell out of cannabis um, to avoid detection, and I have you know and my aunts and uncles on the other side were uh, kind of growing in the mixing uh, cannabis plants in with the the, the cornfields and out in uh, Western Pennsylvania in the Amish, in the Amish country where you can go undetected. Uh, so that's a little of my history with cannabis. I went on to um, get a degree in um, environmental um, geology, which was like focusing on uh, environmental paleo reconstruction, where we were kind of looking at, we're working like hand in hand with um, archaeologists and, you know, when an archaeologist, you know, when they go into either like any kind of site and they're looking at, you know, stratified soil levels, uh, we would go in and, you know, do sampling and then kind of just help augment what they were seeing or help like validate environmental conditions um, around, you know, what was happening whenever that site was being built or that tomb or that person was being buried. Um, uh, there was one trip I went on that I kind of moved away from cannabis. I was super into it when I was, you know, in my teens, um, you know, kind of growing, working, you know, doing chores for my aunts and uncles and trade uh, for some herb. And then, you know, having a couple of plants like way off in the woods um, in high school and stuff and just kind of, you know, getting by based on it. But, uh, yeah, I kind of moved a little bit away from it in college. Um, thought I was going to go into be a serious, a serious, um, you know, get into academia, become a professor somewhere. Maybe was the, was the idea or the track I was on, but it led me to a um, research project in Mongolia, uh, where we were doing paleo environmental reconstruction, um, around a few different, um, civilizations. One was the Zongnu people that were, um, they didn't have a written language, but they were heavily written about, uh, in, by their, uh, by their enemies. Cause they were, they were very war, very warlike people. They invaded a lot of, um, areas in like Northern China. So the, there's ancient Chinese texts that talk about the Zongnu. And one of the things that happened, um, or two things that kind of happened that kind of galvanized my relationship with cannabis and kind of got me back into like, or just realized that there's an academic aspect to cannabis, um, was when we were doing an excavation, we started finding these, these, these seeds. Um, and what the excavation was, site was, was there was this, uh, central burial mound, um, that we didn't know it was untouched. It was around 3000 years old, we think. So, a little bit uh, before the common era and around that burial mound was 27 small burial mounds in a crescent shape. And the first one started at and then it got, you know, larger and larger. And the first tiny burial was, uh, was a small child and um, with all the like accoutrements of a, 
of a small child from like, you know, like dice, like just little toys and things uh, were in that burial. And it went through kind of like all the aspects of, of Zanyu society um, from, you know, from like the blacksmith to the tailor to um, when we got into this kind of more middle mound. Um, we think that she was probably in her 20s, but there was a burial of a, of a young woman and it seems, I mean, this is, there was no written evidence, but it seems as though that she was most likely uh, some sort of like midwife or uh, medicine woman. But in her mound, we started finding these, these seeds. And from my background, I was immediately, those are ganja seeds. It's like the first thing I said. They had it. And then there was like some other seeds in there too that we did that like kind of look like, I think they ended up being like a proto flax seed, like a super tiny flax. But they, they called in experts. They wouldn't trust the the hippie geologist that was on the trip with them. But they called in experts from the Smithsonian from that flew up from uh, Nepal, where they were on a separate a separate dig, just to look at these seeds. And it took them about three weeks to identify them as you know for sure. Yep, they were they were cannabis seeds. So that was interesting. That piqued my interest for sure. Despite finally being able to talk freely about our experience and love for cannabis. Many people continue to be persecuted for using it. Today, there are estimated over 40,000 people incarcerated for marijuana-related crimes. And although that number is trending downwards as laws change, there's still a disproportionate number of colored people being charged with these crimes, even though nearly all ethnicities consume cannabis at the same rates. Why is that? Well, it has to do with the Mexican Revolution and the flood of immigrants that came to America during the civil unrest caused by this war. Cannabis had been grown for hundreds of years by Americans, including our founding fathers. In fact, it's reported that by 1850, there were over 8 billion acres of hemp in the U.S. 8 billion. That's insane. I think there's like 8 million right now. So fucking a billion, 8 billion in 1850. So what happened? Well, let's start at the beginning. The first state to enact regulations against against cannabis was, get this, fucking California. What the hell? I thought California was like weed friendly, man. I pretty much grew up there and I didn't know that we, California was one of the first states. I think the first state there might have been Maine, I saw online maybe a little bit uh, earlier that Maine had laws, uh, prescriptions for Indian hemp, because that's actually what cannabis that was being smoked was referred to as Indian hemp um, because of its rich culture in Indian Hindu society of smoking it. Um it has a profound ability to deeply connect you to meditation and the relationship between smoking, cannabis, hashish, yoga, meditation was associated with India. Um, so when people smoked cannabis, it was referred to back then as Indian hemp, um, while most all other cannabis being grown was for, you know, textiles, fabric, canvas, rope, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so... California enacts regulations actually banning cannabis in 1913, and they targeted the preparation of hemp, or as they called it, loco weed, 
focusing on the psychoactive varieties, so not the hemp textile kind. What's fascinating and somewhat troubling is the mix of reasons behind these early restrictions. A significant driving force was racial and immigrant prejudices, particularly against Mexican immigrants and African Americans who were often unfairly associated with cannabis use. But it wasn't just about prejudices. The early 20th century was a time of misinformation, sound familiar, and moral panic about drugs. Cannabis in particular was demonized as a dangerous substance leading to insanity, criminal behavior, and moral decline, often without any scientific evidence to back up these claims. (coughs) Heard that. Economic interests also played a role. Obviously, money buys everything, so follow the money, you'll follow the truth. And certain industries felt threatened by hemp, which which could be used to make a variety of products. These industries supported anti-cannabis legislation, hoping to eliminate competitors. The campaign against cannabis really picked up steam in the 1930s and was led by Harry Anslinger, the first commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Anslinger spearheaded a nationwide campaign that painted cannabis as a grave danger to society, which led to the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. This act imposed such strict regulations and taxes on the cultivation, sale, and use of cannabis that it effectively amounted to a ban. The film Reefer Madness came out in 1936 and spurred a huge wave of anti-cannabis laws and sentiments that continued through the civil rights movement and the war on drugs that we are still fighting today. I decided to ask longtime writer, educator, and cannabis activist Jorge Cervantes when he thought cannabis would be fully legalized, and this is what he had to say. I honestly thought that cannabis would be be legal by 1975. I graduated from high school in 1972. It was so incredibly illegal. I was a gorilla grower for several years. I grew in the the hills behind Santa Barbara, California, uh, the Santa Inez uh, mountain range. We had limited limited seeds. We had, uh, well, Mexican and the Colombian had just started to come in at that time. So it was Mexican dirt weed and uh, Colombian was the newest thing. We grew those, but those were the long, uh, lanky tropical type plants and you know most of Mexico it gets less than 13 hours of light so it was quite a change to move that far north but yeah it was it was scary as hell the whole time and it, you could make a ton of money I mean it was really really good I, I made enough uh, money one time to to leave and travel for a year I spent a year in South America, you know, it was very nice. I've been very, very scared um, a lot of times, a lot of times. Uh, One time I remember they had lost somebody, it was a lost hiker, and I was carrying back a big load of cannabis from the patch, and a helicopter came and hovered over me, and I had to hide for, until it got dark. Yeah, every time I, I still I still hide every time I see a helicopter. It, it does something to your head. Anybody that says they they weren't weren't afraid, I don't know where they're coming from because it's scary. 
just scary. I've been shaken down at the, at the borders many, many times, many times. It's generally been in the United States. Almost every time it's been in the United States. One time it was in Chile, but that was during Pinochet, you know, Augusto Pinochet. I don't know if you remember him. He was the, the dictator that took over Chile. But that was the 80s, yeah. And, oh, yeah, they hauled me down to the police station, everything else. I had canvas that I'd all over me. Or I, I in in my my underwear, it, it, it was scary. I've been shaken down in Mexico. I've been shaken down in Brazil. Yeah, but m- mainly in the United States. I've been in a small room, answered the same questions over and over. Um, it, it was very very scary, definitely. And uh, you know, some people deal with it better than others. But I continued. I, I just continued because I knew I was right. I was right. And those guys were the ones who were all fucked up. I didn't believe in what they're doing, and that's it, you know. But, yeah, there was a lot of people who had a hard hard time. Uh, many friends of mine have had their children taken away, lost all of their assets. You can read about it on my website, the jorge-cervantes.com. You can read about the, the green merchant. I, I wrote a couple of paragraphs. It was pretty traumatic just writing about it for me because it, it brought back a lot of memories. It happened in before you were born in October of 1989 is when that happened. Yeah, they call it Green Thursday. It happened on a Thursday. First of all, I think we need to take a moment to say thank you to all those who came before us taking the risk to grow this plant, not only for themselves and to make money, but to then go on and write books and share this education Um because they're passionate about it, because they believed in it, because they knew that it wasn't wrong. This is a plant. And if it weren't for these people who came before us, uh, like Jorge Cervantes, sharing his experiences, we wouldn't be where we are today. I mean, his Marijuana Horticulture Grow Bible was my first cannabis book. And here I am now, uh, Eight years later, writing my own books, teaching classes, uh, growing both medically and recreationally licensed. And if it weren't for people like him um, putting in the, you know, the work and advocacy and education, we wouldn't be as far as where we are today. If everyone listened to the rules and the laws, um, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here. You know, there's high risk, high reward. And. These are our legacy growers. Um, when you hear the word legacy, what does that mean? To me, that means it's the people who paved the way for legalization by taking those risks and growing a plant that they believed in despite the laws, despite the stigma, despite what other people may have thought about them. So I am forever grateful because this is what I do for a living. This plant has helped me tremendously physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, And, um, you know, my goal with this whole podcast is to really help reduce that stigma associated with cannabis and show people that have been influenced by the war on drugs to reconsider their position. Uh, But not only that, to just encourage people who are smoking it. If you listen or if you're listening to this podcast and you don't grow weed, but you smoke it, um, please try growing weed. This is your year. I'm telling you, you can do it. It is addicting. It is amazing. It is the most fun thing. And you will never, uh, like, you'll think every 
flower that you grow is the best flower that you've smoked and your experience smoking your own weed will be unlike any other flower you've smoked before this. I promise. So not only is like smoking cannabis a huge and amazing, wonderful tool for our own health, um, but growing outside in nature is also um, just essential part of creating that happy, healthy life. I mean, the average American spends like 90% of their life indoors and we have all time high of obesity and mental health problems. And I think a huge part of that could be changed by spending some time outside under the sun. And you can do that while growing. So speaking of growing outdoors, it's time for our grow along update. So if you didn't listen to the prelude episode, check it out. But for context, this grow along is not just any grow along. It is a citizen science project aimed to help create growing zones for outdoor cultivation. When I talked to Jorge about this project, this is what he had to say. But this project you're working on is really a, a very, very good project. I'd love to see as many people involved in it as possible. I've been wanting to do this with cannabis for many, many years. And it's just really difficult to get people interested in it because now, you know, because all they want to do is sell seeds and make money and talk about how cool they are. And I, I'm <laughs> yeah. just sick, sick of that stuff, you know? I don't, I don't care about that stuff. I want things to go forward and really make it right, make things make things work and get the egos out of here and stuff and just go, go to hard science because that's where we learn and that's where you can prove, double-proof things and move forward. So what they do uh, with these AAS selections, if you have AAS selection on there, or if you buy a seed pack of regular seeds, but in America, uh, what they do, the seed companies, before they release a seed, because it takes like seven, eight years minimum to get a viable seed that will work for the marketplace. And in the cannabis seed market, you know, they'll come out with like 20 new varieties of some small little company, in every year or you know five new varieties come on it's crazy so what they do with the AS selection is they send these out to gardeners all over the United States in every climate you know not just and, and you know there's a lot of uh, well there's the free zone climate you know that's that's one thing but on the west coast they have a uh, like 20, 24, 26 different zones, that are and each one of those zones is divided into A and B. And that goes from, I believe, Colorado west, all the way west up to Alaska, all the way down to San Diego, and or south of San Diego, Chula Vista is the last town before the border. And they send it out to garden writers like, like me. We grow it out. And the only requirement they have, I mean, you can get all these free vegetable seeds and flower seeds, like it's great. And they just, they send them to you. All you gotta do is just fill out a form as to, you know, what what happened, what your climate is, what your weather was like, just a few real simple things. And now everybody's got this iPhone, right? Or smartphone, collecting information would be a lot easier, I believe. 
So I would love to see something like that happen. When I did that, I was living in Portland, Oregon. I lived there for 10, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And every year I did it and filled out the form. And then the next year we get free seeds every year. And you get the newest, best seeds, the things that, that are not on the market, stuff that nobody has yet. So if you have that AAS selection, it's, it's the best. You can't, you can't beat it. What AAS does is it grows well in all climates in the continental United States, or they will qualify it to grow in specific zones. But in general, it, it grows best anywhere. So what you have there are, are seeds that are guaranteed. They're easy to grow. You can't, you know, they're hard to screw up, you know, and, and they've got specific parameters where they'll grow really well because you know if you look at like i don't know say you look at these the rabanitos the, the little uh radish seeds but say you grow the and a lot of times people will look at the uh at the seed catalog and they'll say okay this radish is supposed to be 30 days 30 days well it, it, it comes out to be like 45 days well that's because it's in the wrong climate and they're, you know, it's either it's for radishes, it's usually too hot for them and it doesn't have quite enough sun, but they're not so sun sensitive as temperature sensitive. So we could do that with cannabis and join the, you know, like the real world. I'd love to see that. And you, you can be a big part of that. I'd love to see it happen. I'm really excited to be able to get some of these seeds into your hands and do the citizen science project so we can all grow together. So speaking of, Ben has, uh, you know, he's the co-owner of the Humboldt Seed Company and so graciously donated seeds for us to use. If you want to sign up for the Blaze Botanical Latitude and Zonal Evaluation Citizen Science Project, you need to go to patreon.com slash queen of the sungrown and sign up your participation covers the cost of this massive experiment anything helps and we are going to be collecting data to help create zones for growers to be able to you know eventually just type in your strain and your zip code and or your zip code and then get a list of strains that would do well for you there that's like the whole hopes and goals with this but in the meantime, we do have another controversy, which I wasn't even really expecting, but it's good. I'm, I'm, you know, controversy is good because it means people are passionate and care um, about something. So, you know, we saw this controversy with cannabis back surrounding Mexican immigration and nationalism and racism. I'm going to call it racism because that's what it is. And the competition of industries. But today we have this stigma, um, this controversy, this new controversy that I really just became aware of in the last few weeks. And especially so if you go on my Instagram, I shared a post with a sound bite with a sound bite from the first prelude episode with Ben discussing the triploid cannabis seed. It was just a little teaser to get the word out there and you wouldn't believe the comments. Oh my God, people were going crazy, crazy about triploid cannabis seeds and comparing the Humboldt Seed Company to freaking Monsanto and being a big corporation trying to take our rights away to grow seeds. Okay, let me tell you this. Ben 
And the rest of the folks at the Humboldt Seed Company are not a giant corporation. They are legacy growers who have been doing this for generations. They're a small family-owned business, good friends, and people that I buck with because of their love for the legacy, the plants, and small home growers and small batch cultivators. They do produce fire genetics because they have a background in science and do things the right way. I mean, they are... Sure, everyone has things that like you can disagree with, and that's okay. It's okay to not to disagree with people and have a different opinion. But you wouldn't believe the hate that came out in that post saying that triploid cannabis is trying to take away people's right to home grow and to be able to produce their own seeds. I'm sorry, but that's just not true. Listen to the prelude episode about how they produce the triploid seed and how this genetic mutation occurred naturally. And then through selective reading, which we've been doing for hundreds and thousands of years, it's not the equivalent of a genetically engineered crop. There was no gene splicing to produce these seeds, just a tetraploid bred with a diploid to produce a triploid. Yes, it does produce seedless cannabis, but that's something that we've been striving for um, for so long. I mean, sensimia, which is the Spanish word for without seeds, was discovered, I think, in like the 70s or 80s. And I honestly didn't even know weed had seeds in it when growing up in SoCal. I smoked that hydro $20 grams. <laughs> oh my God. And I didn't even know that cannabis had seeds until I moved to Michigan and bought weed there and there were seeds in it. I was like, what the fuck is this? Pick out the seeds. Now I understood that Afro man, pick out the seeds and stems. Feeling high as hell, rolling through Palmdale. Whatever, you know what I mean? I, I didn't even know what he was talking about back then, but now, you know, then I did after moving to Michigan. <clears throat> Represent Mitten, Detroit. Okay, so... They're not trying to take away your right to grow your own and breed. They will always sell regular seeds, regular diploid seeds that you can breed with. Uh, but for a the implications on a commercial scale to be able to grow from seed fields, because that's where we're going. Think about this. In 1850, there was 8 billion acres of hemp being grown. Right now, there's far less than that, but we should be growing that much because we should be replacing uh, paper made from tree pulp with hemp. We should be making hempcrete houses. We should be making hemp textiles. We should be making uh, edibles accessible to people who don't want to smoke for pain relief or just for fun to have the giggles and go for a bike ride like I like to do. It's our right to consume this and growing it commercially and being able to throw out an asexual seed that you know is not only feminized, but um, isn't going to produce seeds in case pollen comes. Um, I mean, there are some seeds in it, uh, non-viable, but very, very few. It's not, they're not evil. They're not trying to take away your right to breed. But 
I can see the fear and I understand why, because we have been treated like that before. Look at Monsanto and Haiti, how they try to um, force their genetically engineered seeds like corn that can't be collected and regrown, right? That's scary. That's terrifying. Taking the power away from somebody. So I totally understand the fear um, behind that. But seriously, you guys, we don't, we're like, I don't know that many people that grow weed that they want it to get seeded and collect those seeds. Most people I know, including myself, grow seeds and then select pheno hunt for specific traits in those plants and then save that plant and clone off of it. You can still clone off of a triploid and there's still, um, you know, this whole experiment. We'll see if it's as cracked up as they say, because I'm not sold until I grow it, you know what I mean? But from what, you know, Jorge and Ben have told me, it seems like the plant is going to be bigger, produce more resin, and therefore more cannabinoids, higher yield. So if you have a plant that does all of those things with the same amount of resources and space, that is called sustainability, y'all. The thing that impressed me more than anything with the Humboldt Seed Company is the triploids because you can do so much with them. Naturally, they don't produce seeds and they can be much more productive. In agriculture, it's an old, old trick, you know, to, to have triploids. And they've been doing it for years and years. You know, there's triploids, quadriploids, but the, the triploids, Triploids are the special one because they don't get pregnant. They don't, you, you know, they're asexual. They don't have males or females. Occasionally you'll have seeds, but very, very seldom. And that's the main thing. There's also some other really cool characteristics about like the trichomes, the capitate stock trichomes. They will come off and there'll be several, several to, uh, roots to them. Or, well, they've got one stem here. And they could have um, another one come off of this stem, another one, maybe three or four come off of the same one. And that appears to be one of the reasons or one of the ways that you can identify a triploid just by looking through the little loop and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I will be growing this along with you if you guys are going to participate in Blaze, the diploid next to the triploid outside, taking notes and observing. And you know I'm going to be watching that and turn it into bubble hash and rosin to see how that does. Um, so only time will tell what is going to happen with these seeds and the implications. But, um, you know, don't attack. I mean, there's just no reason to be hateful in a world of division already. Um, we are a cannabis community and let's be kind. There's, there's so much hate already. Smoke another joint, dude. Take a dab, eat an edible, chill out, collect seeds. I mean, sure, the grocery store sells one variety of watermelon, right? Like that's usually it. And it is really sad that we're losing diversity in the foods that we eat. But that is like the consumers who are choosing to pick the same varieties. And that's why like apples, we have, you know, the Fuji, the Gala, the Honey Crisp or whatever the hell, Lady, Pink Lady, like we used to have so many varieties and now we only have a few sold because people just buy that shit. Well, weed is going to go like that as well. As a commercial cultivator for years, I saw the data on what was being sold in dispensaries and the number one selling strains year after year is like Blue Dream, Wedding Cake, Gelato, 
You know what I mean? It's like people, consumers want the same thing. So for a commercial, sure, maybe you're going to see widespread commercial growth of specific strains and maybe they are triplet, maybe they're not. But really, that's the thing about growing it yourself and I want everyone to grow it themselves. Grow your own medicine and preserve genetics and grow your, create your own genetics. And, you know, you can still buy so many different types of watermelon seeds, right? Like, sure, you only get one at the grocery store, but go to Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds or Peaceful Valley. Shout out. I love you. Groworganics.com. And you can continue to grow different varieties. Now, I do have to say, that for the folks who cannot grow outdoors yet, I am sorry. You can still participate in the Grow Along in Blaze if you want to. I am not giving you legal advice. You listen to the laws in your area. Do what you feel comfortable doing. But um, I went to Mexico. Okay, we're going to change gears here. I went to Mexico last week for my birthday to see the monarchs. And this is something that I want to talk about because it's near and dear to my heart biodiversity and saving our planet, being more sustainable, growing things yourself, um, thinking about the bigger picture. And I'm so happy that there was controversy and outrage about people being afraid of our right to breed and have access to seeds that can reproduce because we should care about those things. Um, But direct that, um, I think it was just a little misdirected at the Humboldt Seed Company. But back to Mexico. Okay. We are in a sixth mass extinction. We are seeing species go extinct at an alarming rate. And one of those species is the monarch butterfly. And so for my 33rd birthday, I wanted to see the monarchs in Mexico, central Mexico. They overwinter there. They are a migratory animal. And so that means they live their life migrating from Canada to Mexico, and there are many migratory species. Well, migration doesn't really sit well with humans, right? Because, well, we're kind of sedentary animals. And when there's different states, different countries, I mean, they go through three different countries. There's different laws, different protections. And so marijuana, cannabis, has a deep, rich culture and history of roots in Mexico. And it migrated up, you know, into America from, you know, Asia and European settlers colonization. Um, It's traveled all over the world as well. And so we need to think about our impact on species as a whole. And so just being aware of what we do. um, And that's one of the reasons why I want this grow along to occur and to happen is to just get you outside growing something. So If you cannot grow the cannabis seeds outdoors, reach out to me and I will send you milkweed seeds because what I learned is that over the last 20 years, 90% of our monarch population has died. And just from this year to last, 50% of the population died. They're running out of organisms at an alarming rate. And one of the reasons is because we don't have milkweed growing as abundantly as we used to. Milkweed is the only plant that a monarch caterpillar will feed on. It is what gives it 
it's toxic toxicity. <laughs> so um, monarch butterflies are actually somewhat toxic to birds and they'll, you know, it's a defense mechanism. The caterpillars consume the milkweed and the toxins in the milkweed become part of the caterpillar and the butterfly. Um, there's over 30 different varieties of milkweed that monarchs will feed on. And so um, a lot of our milkweed has been removed and we can help the monarchs by planting milkweed. Now, don't go out and buy just any milkweed. Preferably get the native species, the species native to your area, because like I said, there's over 30 different varieties that monarchs will feed on. And I am going to get a big bag of different types of milkweed. And you can reach out to me if you cannot grow the um, cannabis seeds outdoors because for whatever reason, laws, regulations, I will send you milkweed seeds because not only are you going to be helping the monarchs and providing other pollinator habitat, but it's going to get you outside. The average American spends 90% of their life indoors and with depression at an all-time high, obesity, I know, I believe, I know this to be true that being outside in the sun with your hands in the dirt is one of the best medicines out there. Not even if you're growing, even if you're not growing medicine, if you're not growing pot, like it's okay. I just want everyone to go out and grow something. So if you can't grow marijuana, cannabis, weed, devil's lettuce, wacky tobacco, you can grow milkweed. Speaking of growing outdoors being medicine, it is scientifically proven that outdoor cannabis has higher or more variety of secondary metabolites. In a recent study published by Columbia University, they compared regeneratively organically grown outdoor secondary metabolite profile to that which is grown indoors with synthetics. And it was much higher in the outdoor compared to the indoor. I talked about this with Dr. Riley Kirk of NAP. And here's what she had to say. I completely agree. And, you know, I I think it's again, we talked about this in the beginning, it's so cool when like what, what your body knew is validated by science. And this is kind of what you're talking about here. It's like you always knew it outdoor hit different. And now you know why. So it's like this study was really cool because in outdoor environments, there's so much more volatility. It's so much more, you know, it's changing every second. There's microclimates, there's pests that are not inside, there's there's herbivores, there's so many different things that are really in contact with this plant. So the plant's producing all these different molecules depending on what it needs to do to protect itself. And what you're saying, like producing these different terpenes to communicate with itself and the things around it. And it's just environment. Whereas indoors, you know, there's there's no unwanted insects or birds or deer or whatever it is interacting with that plant. So it doesn't need to produce as many different molecules or even as much of any specific molecule. And that was really backed up in this data. So it's like the outdoor plants were producing a much larger diversity of different molecules compared to the indoor plants. And 
at higher levels. So we're talking about terpenes and cannabinoids, specifically THC and CBC, cannabichromine and THC were um, specifically higher in the outdoor uh, cultivars, but there was almost every molecule was in higher abundance. And again, like the diversity was much, much larger. What I thought was so cool about the terpenes in the study was the indoor terpenes, indoor terpenes, showed that there was much more degraded terpenes and oxidized ter- terpenes. So showing like breakdown, the breakdown of these terpenes. And even the researchers were like, mm, I wonder why that is. And then they started like talking and like discussing it. And really what they think is because there was less terpenes produced inside and a lot of terpenes are antioxidants they're protecting that plant from the being degraded by the sun or in this case the artificial light there's less of those terpenes to protect the plant so it's actually the active molecules are getting broken down by the sunlight because there's nothing there to protect it compared to the outdoor grow which had higher amounts of these terpenes we call them sesquiterpenes or the larger terpenes uh, like beta caryophylline and humulene and the sesquiterpenes are really what was and, and the flavonoids were what were protecting the plant um, from from getting oxidized from from the light so it's like when we're when we have plants in outdoor environments they're kind of forced to put their energy towards all these different things that can allow it to protect itself from the 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 environment and you don't need that inside so you have so much less compounds produced and a less diversity so you have less of that entourage effect essentially so reach out to me and i hope with this podcast that I am connecting people through this community to learn more about themselves, to learn more about cannabis, and to learn more about the natural world because we are nature. It's integral. We're woven into the fabric of life together. There is no separation of humans and nature. And I want to help encourage folks to get outside and to be happier, healthier people because when you're happier there's less controversy and arguing online like get get off Instagram and go outside and do something fun I know it's just starting to warm up the season's awakening spring is here but this podcast is about building community and being a little bit better there's 8 billion of us imagine if 8 billion people um, woke up tomorrow and decided that they were all going to just do something to help um, someone else and how beautiful that would be. And so I want to finish this episode with gratitude for the Humboldt Seed Company. Not only are they donating these seeds, but they are good friends. You know, Ben, he, he's a good friend. He's a good guy. And so is Jasmine and the rest of the team at the Humboldt Seed Company. So if you haven't um, supported them before, Now's your chance to grow some of their seeds and let's do this together. Let's come together as a community with so much division in the world today. Those seeds of controversy have been sown and the roots of cannabis are deep, but smoke another joint, light it up, hit the bong. And come together. And let's grow some dank ass weed or milkweed for the monarchs, y'all. And 
yeah, I will see you next week. Next week, in honor of Women's Week, we're going to get into Women of Weed because you know what? Weed is woman. Seriously, y'all, every plant that we are growing, if you didn't know this, the how we get seedless marijuana, like, is because we're not growing any males. Males pollinate. We want women. And there are so many women out there that have done so many amazing things for this industry. And so we're going to have Dr. Riley Kirk from NAP. We're going to have Kimmy from Jackalope Farms. We're going to go Luna Stower, who's doing advocacy and education, traveling the world, judging the Emerald Cup. I've got some great guests for next week. So tune in next weekend. Remember to listen to us. Follow along at queenofthesungrown.com on Instagram. Instagram, YouTube, and you can get this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with someone that you want to grow or smoke weed because there's always that one person in our life you know could benefit from getting a little stony. Um, So see you next week. And I look forward to growing together. If you want to sign up for the Grow Along, it is still open to get your free seeds. And that's at patreon.com slash queen of the sun grown. Thank you for the continued support, y'all. I can't wait to see you, well, hear you, listen, talk to you. (laughs) I can't wait to talk to you next week. So I will say adieu. Avidasen and hasta luego. Oh.